Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. In honor of Mother's Day, I'm going to set aside the revelation, the study of revelation this week, and I want to talk to, to you mothers, and I want to talk about mothers and, and talk about how wonderful a particular mother is in the Bible that serves as a great example for all mothers. And that woman that I'm talking about is the woman Sarah. Sarah, who is the wife of Abraham. Sarah, who is going to eventually be the mother of Isaac at the age of 90. Sarah, who is only one of two women who is named in God's Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11, Rahab being the other. Now, there's a mention of other women, but calling them by name, Sarah is only one of two women who are mentioned in God's Hall of Fame. Because of her great faith that she had. And I want her to serve as an example today of what a mother is supposed to be like. Of what a mother is supposed to be like. And and the fact that she wasn't perfect. As none of us are perfect. But I want you to see the rewards that God gives to her because of the kind of mother she was. And person she was. And then finally I want to just talk to you about some points to ponder about her life and about this story. But I want to go through the Word of God with you today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, we're just going to look at a few verses that have to do with Sarah and her life. First thing I want you to see about her life, I want you to see her character. Her character, she was a, a very humble and very submissive wife. In relationship to her husband Abram or Abraham. And I want to just show you, and, and ladies, I want you to think about this how challenging it would be to be humble like her and to be submissive to everything that she's going to be asked to do by Abraham. So I want you to enumerate those things. Here are some of the ways that she exemplifies that character of humility and submissiveness. In chapter 12, verse 1, God comes to Abram and says, the Lord said, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. That is a great announcement. Amen. That's a great command. God tells Abram, get up. I want you to leave your homeland. I want you to go to a place that you've never seen before. It's an unknown land. I'm not giving you a map to get there, but I want you to go. But he's not supposed to go alone. He's supposed to take his family with him. So look at verse 5. And Abram took Sarah, that was her name, Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Number one characteristic, this woman, all right, this woman follows her husband in a submissive spirit to leave her homeland To go to a place she's never seen before. She has to go with all their possessions and everything. They're leaving the known world that they are aware of, that they've lived in, that they're comfortable with. And he says, we're supposed to go because God tells us to go. And she follows him with all their possessions. That's a humble, submissive spirit. Amen. She just picks up and goes. She doesn't have a map. They don't have a plan. All they have is a promise. And the promise is that God said, go, and if you will go, I will bless you. 
And so the first characteristic of her life, she just willingly leaves her homeland, everything that's familiar, to go a place she's never seen before. Here's the second characteristic in verse number 8. Look what it says. Then he proceeded, finding the Canaan land, he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel. Now, I want you to underline this, ladies. And pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Did you hear what I had you to underline? They went to this new land, this unknown land, and they pitched their tent. You know what that means? That means they were living as nomads. They never had a solid structure they ever lived in. Matter of fact, the entire life, the entire experience that Sarah has with Abram in all that Canaan land, she lived every day in a tent. Every day in a tent, every day as a nomad, every day getting up, moving to the next spot. That's what she had as a life. How many of you ladies would like to live in a tent? How many? I heard that. It's one of the strongest responses I've got, Sandra. We don't want to live in tents. Especially women like to have their roots. They like to have a home. They like to have a place where they can call and decorate. And this is where I'm going to live. And for all of her life, she follows her husband around as a nomad living in a tent. You understand why she would be in God's hall of fame. Amen? Yeah, I should have been a better amen than that. Amen? You ladies should have said amen to that strongly. Living in a tent. Going where she's never been before and living in a tent all of her life. Here's the third thing. When her husband, she stands by her husband, Abram, whenever they go into Egypt, they have to go into Egypt, and when they go into Egypt, he tells Sarah, Sarah, listen, when we go into Egypt, I want you to tell everybody you're my sister. (laughs) I want you to tell everybody you're my sister, not my wife. Because she obviously was a beautiful woman. The reason you know she is so beautiful is because everywhere she went, everybody wanted her. Whenever they went into Egypt, he said, tell everybody you're my sister. Don't tell them you're my wife. Because if they want you and I'm your husband, they might do something with me. So because of his lack of faith and his fear, he tells her to say that she's my sister. And Pharaoh hears about her. Pharaoh now. I told you she's good looking. All right. Pharaoh wants her, and he goes and gets her to be his wife. And God has to deal with that, and God will deal with that. I'll show you in a minute how God protects in that situation. But God deals with it, and finally Pharaoh comes back to Abraham and says, Why did you not tell me that she's your wife? You got my whole family in trouble. Why did you not tell me? The answer was because he was fearful, and he had very little faith. And she put up with that. She put up with that. This guy who's supposed to be the father of faith. He's so weak in his faith, she has to lie about who she is and gets taken by somebody and gets returned by somebody. But hold on a second. This was early in his ministry and early in his life, so maybe we'll give an exception to that. But that's not all. Listen to what else happens in chapter 13. In chapter 13, remember Abram and his nephew Lot had come out of Haran and come to where they were. 
And in chapter 13, it tells us that both of them have been prosperous and their herds have grown so much that the land they live on is not enough for them to both live there. And so listen to what happens in verse 9. This is Abram talking to Lot. Listen. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or to the right, then I will go to the left. you hear what he said? This is Abram. He is the patriarch of the group. He's the leader of the group. And he says to Lot, Lot, listen, we're going to have to separate. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you first choice. I'm going to give you first choice. And you choose where you will go. And wherever you choose, I'll go in the opposite direction. Now, can you imagine the humble spirit that Sarah had to have whenever she heard that agreement being made? What would our pride say? Hun, hun, you're the leader. Hun, God's the one that's, God spoke to you. Hun, you ought to be the one to get first choice and leave him with whatever's left. That's, that's what ought to happen with it. I think that's the fair thing to do, but that's not what Abram did. Abram said to Lot, Lot, you choose wherever you will go, and I will take whatever is left. And she supports that. She's supportive of that. She, she walks with this man who makes such a decision and gives somebody else the, the first choice. That's really a picture of humility, and it's a picture of humility in her heart that she agrees to it and walks with it. Not only that, look over in chapter 14. After Lot goes and separates from Abram, he gets captured by a group of kings who are warring together, and Abram ends up, Abraham ends up having to go and set him free and defeat the kings. And when he does... He brings back all the people, and he brings back the riches. And he encounters two kings, a wicked king, the king of Sodom, and a righteous king who's called a priestly king. His name was Melchizedek. He was the king of Salem, which is eventually Jerusalem. And Melchizedek is a priest and a king. Many people think he's a theophany. A theophany is an appearance of Christ before the incarnation. They think that Melchizedek was really... A theophany of Jesus because he was a king and he was a priest. But when Abram comes back winning that battle, it says in verses 19 and 20 that Melchizedek blesses him. He blesses Abram. And after he is blessed by Abram, after Abraham receives this blessing, do you know what it says he did? Look at verse 20, the very last phrase. And he gave him a tenth of all. You know what Abraham did and Sarah agreed with? She agreed and he gave a tithe, a tithe of all that had been given to him, all that he'd been blessed. And why did he give a tithe? Why did he give a tithe to Melchizedek? Because he had received a blessing from the priestly king. And the response of a blessing to the priestly king is the tithe, a tenth of what I have. Now, that's a sweet and precious truth because we don't tithe and give because we're commanded to. We're supposed to tithe and give like Abram gave. That's because it's a response to a blessing. Whenever we've been blessed, whenever we've been cared for by God, then a natural response, just like Abraham and Sarah, because Sarah agreed with that, is to give a tithe of that which God has blessed us with. He has truly blessed us. Well, let me show you something else about it. Look at chapter 20. 
This is on down the road in his experience and their journey. Both their names have been changed now. He's Abraham and she's Sarah, S-A-R-A-H. And so they've journeyed for a while, but they come to chapter 20. And in chapter 20, once again, he has not learned his lesson. He goes into a region where the king is Abimelech. And he tells Sarah again, Sarah, listen, I want you to tell them that you're my sister again. (laughs) Because you're a beautiful woman. And because they'll try to kill me. Well, certainly when they went into there, Abimelech, the king, chooses her to be his wife. And he would have made her his wife, except that God again, I'll share it in a minute. God again comes along and protects her from that. But she still stands by this guy who's weak in faith and full of fear and makes her tell stuff that she's not supposed to tell. She still stands by him. She stands with him. How does that happen? Because she has a humble spirit. She has a submissive spirit. Not only that, look at verse chapter 22. In chapter 22, here's one of the most challenging things. It's when God tells Abraham that I want you to go and to sacrifice Isaac. This reveals a tremendous trust that Sarah obviously had in Abraham and in God. Could you imagine after this baby has been born to them that God says, I want you to take him and offer him a sacrifice. And Abraham comes and tells Sarah, this is what God's requiring of us, of this son. She had to have tremendous trust and faith in God and Abraham and a submissive, humble spirit to trust that what he is doing is the right thing. It's what God would have him do and that he is going to be faithful, and that she would be faithful to follow. When you look at all of those characteristics and you look at all of those things, you say, what does that say about her? Well, Peter, in in 1 Peter, he describes what she's like. I want to read that for you. Listen to what he says. For in this way, in former times, the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. He describes Sarah this way in all that she's done. She was a holy woman who was set apart from God. I'll tell you, ladies, I don't believe anybody could leave their known land to go to a foreign land that you don't know the plan or how you're going to get there. You don't even have a map. I don't know how a woman's going to live in tent all of her life, picking up and going. I don't know how a woman lets her husband, let her the nephew make the decision. I don't know how a woman stand, stands with a man who twice made her tell a story in order to protect him because he was fearful and God had to intervene. I don't know how a woman can be that one who says, yes, give a tithe of all we have because God has blessed us. Or or she'd say, yes, take our son and sacrifice him. If that's what God says, how does it happen? Because she was a holy woman set apart unto God whose hope was what? Her hope wasn't in Abraham. Her hope was in who? In God. Her hope was in God. And she honored God by adorning herself, being submissive to her own husband. What it means to be submissive, and I'll talk about that in a minute. That's why and how she has the character and traits that she did. But now, wait a minute. 
whenever you begin to hear that, it's kind of like whenever somebody paints a picture of what a wonderful father is supposed to be or a wonderful husband is, and you're sitting there, and you're thinking, boy, I'm certainly not measuring up to that. Well, sometimes we talk about these godly women and what they're like. We think, well, they're just wonderful and great, and they were wonderful and great, but they also had their weaknesses. Was she perfect? No, she wasn't perfect in any way. So let me share with you some of her faults and some of her failures so that we can understand that. Go back to Genesis. In Genesis, one of her faults and failures comes in the fact that God says that they are going to have, Abraham is going to have a son. He says to Abraham, Abraham, you're going to have a son and, and, and you're going to be, you're, you're, the nation you're going to have is going to be more than the, the stars in the sky, more than the sand on the seashore. You're going to be blessed. But the only problem was is that Sarah, all of these years, Sarah had been unable to have any children. So whenever God comes to Abraham and says to Abraham, you are going to have a son. You're going to have a son of your, out of your own loins. It's going to be your son. In chapter 16, she looks and she decides that she's going to help God out. Okay, here's a big mistake, ladies. Just write this down, all right? This is a terrible sin, all right? It's either a sin of impatience or it's a sin of presumption. Impatience because you're not willing to wait on God or presumption because you think you know how God wants it done. God doesn't need your help. He doesn't need my help. He didn't need Sarah's help. But Sarah decides she's going to help God. So in chapter 16... She goes to Abraham, and she says to Abraham, listen, I can tell you how we can get you a son. And that is, I want you to take my handmaid, my maiden here, Hagar, and I want you to have relations with Hagar, and I want you to have a child by her. And Abraham's just sitting there saying, well, if that's what you think ought to do, he follows the guy, follows the lead, and goes in there, has relations with Hagar, and when Hagar has relations, she is pregnant, and she's eventually going to have a child. Well, the first, her, her problem was a sin of presumption, a sin of impatience. But then the second sin she had was this. Once Hagar became pregnant, you know what she did? She got jealous. <laughs> she was jealous. It says she was so jealous that in verse 4 it says she, was despi- she despised Hagar. Her mistress was despised in her sight. She was so jealous. She was so hurt. She was so angry about that situation that she was sinning against Almighty God. She's the one who set it in motion. She's the one who said you ought to do it. Now, somebody said, well, Hagar might have been mistreating her. Well, how in the world would Hagar have a chance to mistreat her about her being pregnant if Sarah hadn't uh, arranged for her to be pregnant? You understand? So the whole problem is what Sarah did. Just like sometimes when we set in motion, things come back on our way. We wonder why it happened. We're the ones who set it in motion. We're the ones who started. We're the ones who sinned about it. So she wasn't perfect. She was impatient, presumptuous. She was jealous. The old green monster took up, and she despised Hagar when she hadn't done anything other than being obedient to what her mistress, what her, her master had said. Well, it goes on, and God tells them that, Ishmael, who's born of Hagar, is not going to be the child of promise. God basically backs up and says, now that's your child. That's what y'all plan. But I have another plan. The plan I have is for my child to be born. And what he says in regard to that is, 
It's going to happen the way I say it's going to happen. So in chapter 18, in chapter 18, the angels of God come to visit Abram and, uh, and visit Sarah. And as they're visiting, they're going to announce the birth of the baby. And this is what it, ha- it says in verse 11 of chapter 18. Now, Abraham and Sarah were advanced in age and were past childbearing years. Back up to verse 9. Then they said, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, behold, she's in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent, which was behind him. There's where it says, verse 11, they're way beyond having children in the childbearing years. Look what happens in verse 12. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I indeed bear a son when I am old. Why did she laugh? Because she didn't have faith. <laughs> she heard God, the angel of God said, Sarah's going to have a baby this time next year. And she laughed to herself and says, yeah, right. <laughs> I've had all these years of not having a baby. And now I'm the age I am well past having children. And God says, I'm going to have a baby. She laughs to herself. And you know what? God heard her laugh. And God said, Why are you laughing? Because your laughter means you don't believe. Why are you laughing about that? And she says, he goes on and says in verse 14, is anything too difficult for the Lord? In verse 15, she goes on, you know what she does? She tells a lie to try to hide that she laughed. Listen, and Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh. I did not laugh. For she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. No, but you did laugh. Her laughter, her lying, all of that because she doesn't have the faith to believe that God can bring forth a child out of her dead womb. So she doesn't have great faith, glorious faith, but she does have faith. Well, as the story goes on, you'll find that she does have a son. And when she does have this son... She turns around and she begins to uh, feel harshly towards Hagar. That's in chapter 21 of verse 9. She saw Ishmael making fun of and ridiculing Isaac, who's her son. And she said, that cannot be. And she makes Abram make Ishmael and them leave. Once again, it's the jealousy of her heart. The jealousy of her heart. Not willing to accept. Remember, Ishmael is just as much Abraham's son as Isaac is. But she wants her son to be protected. She wants her son's inheritance to be right. So she forces him to send Ishmael away. That's not good qualities, good characteristics of a godly woman. But those were Sarah's characteristics. Now, why I'm not making fun of Sarah. I just want you to know she's not perfect. Amen? None of us are perfect. So we might have certain characteristics and then other things are sin in our life that need to be confessed and need to be forgiven and need to be restored for. And God does that. She failed, but God forgives. She missed the mark, but God restores. 
So ladies, sometimes when you're missing the mark and you're not quite as humble as you need to be or as submissive as you need to be or as much faith as you need to be or you have something that causes your spirit to be wrong, that's okay. It's okay. God still forgives. God forgives. God restores. Let me show you God's reward to a faithful woman or a woman of faith. In each of these things, you find that God will bless her. Abundantly bless her. First thing I want to show you is God's protection. God's protection. It's found in chapters 12 and 20. It has to do with that story, the story about when Abraham had her to lie about being his sister. The first time in chapter 12 said, when we were in Egypt, I want you to lie and tell him you're my sister. She did. Pharaoh took her as his wife. But God intervened. Before he could ever make her his wife, God came to Pharaoh, and he struck Pharaoh's family with a plague. And he appeared to Pharaoh, and he let Pharaoh know that this woman is not to be your wife. And Pharaoh comes back to Abraham and basically rebukes him and says, Why did you lie to us? Why did you tell me this? You almost messed things up. You you brought all this plague to my family. And God had to intervene. God is the one who protected. God protects faithful women. Amen? Amen. Even when your husband blows it, he'll protect you. He'll, he'll intervene to watch over. Thank God for that. Amen, men? I, I'm thankful God protects my wife from my foolishness at times. I'm thankful that God is, has said she'll, he'll protect her if she's what she ought to be in our relationship, even if sometimes I'm not what I ought to be in my relationship because God is the one who's protector. In, cha- in uh, chapter 20, there was that second episode when Abimelech was told that here's this beautiful woman. Abimelech takes her and going to make her his wife. And God appears to Abimelech and says, you cannot marry this woman because she is already married and you are to return her to her husband. Not only did he return her, he gave her a thousand pieces of silver and all the stuff that he had given Abraham to pay for her as a dowry. He let Abraham keep all that. They received all those riches and they left out of there. God not only protected, God blessed because Sarah in her submissive, humble spirit was doing what God told her to do. Even though her husband had blown it, even though her husband didn't do exactly what he should do, God blessed her. And God will bless you. God will bless any of us if we're seeking to do the right thing and live the right way. A second reward that God gives to her is this, forgiveness and restoration. When she blew it, like we talked about, whenever she had blown it those times, either with an evil spirit or a jealous spirit, with a lack of faith, with a sin of presumption, sin of impatience, whatever, each time God would forgive. That's important for you to know that God is a forgiving God. Amen? Because sometimes I think we believe whenever something happens to us, we feel like, man, God's never going to use me again. Well, let me show you that. In chapter 16 is where he, she made the plan with Hagar, and she, he, she had the sin of impatience and presumption. It's also the place where she had the sin of being angry and jealous towards Hagar. It was a bad, chapter 16 is not a very good chapter in her life, all right? She'd rather wipe that chapter out. But notice what happened in chapter 17. In verse 16, here's what God says about Sarah. Now, now, what would some of us do if we were God? Okay, Sarah, you blew it. I'm going to raise me up somebody up out of the dust. I'm going to raise me some dry bones so I can have somebody who will believe me who will do the right thing. Wouldn't we do that? Not God. Look at verse 16 of chapter 17. 
at verse 15 first. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and indeed I will give her a son, give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall, be, shall come forth from her. He doesn't only restore her and forgive her. He also says he's going to abundantly bless her. The third blessing that she receives is she is given a son. A barren woman is given a son. You know, you know how old she was whenever she, she got pregnant? Hold on, ladies. You know how old she was when she got pregnant? 89. 89. You know how old she was whenever, whenever Isaac was born? 90 years old. Don't y'all tell me you that getting senior adults, you can't do anything. Don't y'all tell me you can't keep babies anymore. I can't keep the nursery. I'm too old. Sarah had one at 90. Could you imagine that? Now, here's here's a miraculous birth. He was 100 years old. She's 90 years old. God brings a miraculous birth in in an unbelievable time. And God blesses her with that son. And, and you know, he's, they called his name Isaac. And you know what Isaac means? It means laughter. You know why God named him Isaac? Because he, he, every time she called his name, he wanted her to remember, you laughed. Yeah, you laughed. You laughed. Whenever I told you, you laughed. And you're going to get to take care of laughter all your life. She didn't just have a baby at 90. A lot of people say, well, if you have a baby at 90, then somebody else is going to raise it. No, she lived to be 127 years old. He was 37 years old. She had a chance to impact his life, to teach him, to minister to him. I really, I I have a great sense of humor, far better than most people understand. I have a great sense of humor. I I just would love to see that acted out, wouldn't you? You see a 90-year-old and a 100-year-old. I remember when we had our first ones in our early 20s, and we had Connor when we were in our mid-30s. And I remember by the time mid-30s rolled around, it was like, you get up. (laughs) No, it's it's your turn. You know, when we were younger, it didn't really matter. We just get up and didn't bother me. No, you go do it it this time. What about 190? What would you like to say? Hey, would you push me out of bed? (laughs) These pains I've got, where are they? The cramps I have, this is it arthritis. I mean, what could you imagine a hundred and I don't want to have one at a hundred. I don't want to have one at a hundred. I, I really don't. That's a great blessing that God did, a wonderful miracle. I'm glad it happened to them. Not me. But at 90 years old, she takes care of that boy for 37 years and impacts his life. And he loves his mother. Read his life. Whenever they go and find his wife to bring to him, it says his wife comes into the tent and comforts him for the loss of his mother. He loved his mom. A fourth reward that she received, though, was being included in God's Hall of Fame. God's Hall of Fame. One of two women that's names are there, and very few people are named in God's Hall of Fame in, in Hebrews 11. And she was named there. And you know why she's there? Because of her faith. Because of her faith. Now, wait a minute. We just talked about that. Because of her faith, she didn't have perfect faith, did she? No. She didn't have perfect faith. She she didn't believe that God could 
or that she could or he would, right? I mean, she, she had to go, she tried to help God out by giving Hagar to him to let this be the child of promise. And God comes and says, you're going to have a baby this time. And she's laughing about it. And she can't believe that. She does not have perfect faith. But hold on a second. Write this down. You don't have to have perfect faith. You just have to exercise your faith. You don't have to have perfect faith. Nobody who ever came to Jesus had perfect faith. But they did exercise their faith. So you take what faith you have, and you've been given a measure of faith, and you exercise that faith in the living God and the promises of God, and God will include you in his hall of fame. Not because you had perfect faith, but because you exercised your faith that God gave you. And she did. The final reward that she had was here in verse chapter 17, verse 16. I read it just a minute ago. Listen. This is what he says about her. I will bless her indeed, and I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, listen, and she shall be a mother of nations. Sarah is known as a mother of nations. Not only that, and she's a mother of kings of people who will come or shall come from her. She, this woman who could not have children, becomes the mother of nations and the mother of kings and princes who ruled in the world. And if you talk about who's the mother of nations, you don't matter who is the mother of nations, there's no doubt about it, that's Sarah. Sarah, this wonderful example, this wonderful woman who was not perfect, who exercised faith. Now, very quickly, I want you to write about Four or five points that I want you to write down. These are points to ponder is what I'm giving them to you. An interesting thing is if you read over in chapter 23, and when you get home, read it. It's when Sarah dies. And the interesting thing about when Sarah dies is this. That's the first time Abraham buys a piece of property in the promised land. He had no need for, for, for land. He had no need for a place for land because he was a nomad. But whenever Sarah died, he goes and he tells them, I need to buy, I need to have a piece of land so I can bury my wife. Sarah's death brings about the purchase of the land. Now, that tells you so very, very much about that. First of all, whenever Abraham buys that land, he eventually buys that land, now he has a right to the promised land. He has a right to the promised land because he bought it. He owned it. Not nearly what God's going to give to them, but whenever the children of Israel eventually are going to go back over there in Egypt and they're going to be brought out by Moses and given the land, they have a right to it because Abraham purchased that burial plot for his wife. A second thing it tells you is this. For the first time, that land became his homeland. Because what everybody did whenever they buried somebody, they would take them back home. They'd take them back to their homeland. He would have had to carry her back to Haran or to Ur of Chaldees if he's going to do a homeland, but he didn't do that. He says, this land that God has promised to me, this land, an unknown land, is the land God has given to me, and this has become my home. This is our home. But here's the third thing. (laughs) It's the first time, listen, the first time that Abraham could build a real house. It's the first time he could build a structure that was not nomadic. You know why? Because it's the first time he owned anything. Other than that, he had to travel around. So here is Sarah, 
all the days of her life that she lived in a tent. And through her death, now they own something and they can actually build a house. She still lived in a tent all those years. Well, don't feel sorry for her. She's in glory. Amen. God's got a great place for her. But, but she lived in that tent all the years of her life. Second thing I want you to write down is this. That Sarah's greatest contribution to motherhood, they're recorded in her role as a wife. Isn't that interesting? Basically, in the Bible, you read that she has a son. And then the next thing you read about her, she dies. And you know she had a son. It doesn't record a whole lot about what she did as a mother. But do you know what God wants us mothers to see? That a major role of mothers is your role as a wife. That what you do as a wife is going to impact the role of a mother. See, I believe this, that the greatest thing, a greatest thing that women can do and, and moms can do is to love their husbands. It's to love their husbands, to be submissive to their husbands and to care for their husbands. I think that's the greatest thing you do for your children. I, I think, I think your, your daughters learn what it's supposed to be like and what life's supposed to be like and how you're supposed to act towards a husband. I think boys, your boys will learn about what to look for in a wife as they see what you're like. A major role that you have in leading your children and teaching your children is the kind of role that you have in relationship to your husband. And Sarah was a great mother because she was a great wife. Because she was humble and submissive and patient and forgiving and having to deal with that dude. All you women have to deal with us dudes. Amen? And most of you are saying, you don't know the dude I got. Well, that's all right. You don't know the dude mine's got. But whenever you're patient, loving, kind, and submissive, then you're going to be a great example for your children. And that's an important role of motherhood. One other thing, and I want to say this to you, is please do not let the world color your mind about biblical concepts. And I've got to say this for just a minute, and then we'll be finished. I hope you do not get your theology out of the Aniston Star. Please, do not get your theology. One of the worst things they usually do is that religion page on Fridays. It's one of the worst things. They, they, who cares whose opinion? I don't care about anybody's opinion. I want to know what the Bible says. Amen? So they give all their opinions. But they are out to, to try to hinder and hurt so many good things that God established. This last Friday, there was an article on Paige Patterson in Southern Baptist about the aspect of submission in the home and submission to wife. They painted that and made that look like the worst and most awful thing you could ever imagine. It made it look like slavery. And the whole thing was, this is what Southern Baptists say, and this is what Southern Baptists do. And it was nothing, but most of it were lies. And most of it was a great hindrance uh, about anybody being interested in Southern Baptists or Christianity anyway. You understand that? Do not let them set your theology, because they don't know it, all right? Here's the sad part. Submission was painted in such a negative picture, and submission is one of the greatest concepts and most beautiful words in all the Bible. For see, submission is, is, is motivated by love. It's not motivated by fear. Somebody obeys because they're fearful of, of retribution or fearful of, of punishment. And, and, and obedience is totally by fear. Submission is totally out of love. It's the fact that you love somebody so much that you want to do for them. You don't have to do for them. You want to do it for them. 
a pleasure of your heart and your life is that, that you get to do something for them to bless them, not because they ask you, but you do it before they even ask. Because you know that's what they want or what would make them happy. It is such a beautiful concept, but they made it so ugly. And, and here's the truth of the matter. The Bible tells us to be submissive to God, doesn't it? Is that ugly? No, that's not ugly. The Bible tells us to be submissive to one another. Is that ugly? No, that's not ugly. That's beautiful. And when the Bible says to women to be submissive to your own husband, that is not ugly. That is a beautiful, wonderful concept motivated by love. And when it says that that Sarah was submissive to her husband, it wasn't because she had to be. It's because she wanted to be. Because she loved him and she wanted to please him. And just, I don't talk about politics much and I don't talk about papers much or all this kind of thing. But I'm here to tell you, that particular thing was just a lie. And don't let it distort your view of submission. And ladies, one of the greatest compliments you can have is that you are a humble, submissive lady to your husband. Because it means you're motivated by love. Two things, very quickly, and we'll be finished One of those things is this. I'm sorry, I kind of got caught up in that a little bit more than what I typically do in regard to it. Remember to exercise your faith, even though it's not perfect. Okay? I see so many people who miss out on the things of God because they are unwilling to exercise faith because they don't think they have perfect faith. You don't have to have perfect faith. You just have to have faith. And exercise it in God. And please remember this we talked about. Is that whenever you have failed. And we all do. Just ask forgiveness. God restores. If you'll take those little points. And put it together for all of us. It'll bless your heart. It'll bless your life. And let Sarah. Be an example to follow. Go back and read this. Go back and look at that. And say God help me to let this woman. Be an example of me about a wife or a mother. Guys, we can learn from it too, amen? And we can learn not to be like Abraham sometimes and to be like him in other ways. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.